Welcome to the Pause Purpose Play podcast with me, Michaela Thomas, clinical psychologist, couples therapist, and founder of The Thomas Connection. I help high-striving busy people let go of the pressure of perfection to create more joy, connection, and compassion in their lives. On this podcast, we promote balance of a burnout through giving you the permission to pause, the curiosity to find your purpose, and the courage to play. Nikki Lowe is the founder of Wisdom for Working Mums. She's a qualified and accredited executive coach who's an advocate for achievement-orientated, motivated, ambitious women who also want to be amazing mums. She has spent the last 15 years being invited by some of the world's largest organizations to support their leaders as an executive coach. Many of these are working mums, and this led her to contribute to the book Mentoring for Working Parents, based on her experience. As a busy working mum of two, she knows only too well the challenges of combining motherhood with the work that fulfills her. Her passion is helping women combine their work and motherhood in a successful and sustainable way without losing their sanity or well-being. In this episode, Nikki and I talked about how to promote balance over burnout by listening to our bodies. Nikki learned the hard way that she has to pause before her body comes to a full stop through her experience of adrenal fatigue after she became a mother. This painful journey led her to find direction in life, finding her purpose of helping other working mothers as a coach. Nikki's honest account of how she still struggles with high standards and giving herself the permission to slow down is a really powerful listen. Let's dive in. Welcome, Nikki. I am so glad to have you here. It's amazing how how quickly time has passed, really, since I was a guest on your podcast, Wisdom for Working Mums, uh, talking about perfectionism. And now the roles are reversed. I'm really, really pleased to have you here. Yeah, and it's an absolute honor to be invited. So thank you. I'm really excited to be having this conversation because I think your work and how you approach it is such an important conversation. So yeah, really excited to be part of that. And your podcast episode is one of my most popular as well. So I think that's always, always nice to know the conversation we had really resonates with my audience as well. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of working women uh, and mothers and working mothers who have those issues with being too hard on themselves or putting too much pressure on themselves, struggling with that balance and then heading more towards burnout. So absolutely talking about embracing imperfection both in work and in motherhood is a really important discussion and hence why I invited you because you are so open about your journey how how that's led you into doing the work you do with the with the podcast and with your coaching so we would obviously like to hear your story of of how you came to wisdom for working mums yeah well it's it's a bit of a journey actually so I, I started off my career I worked for an IT company and I was um, in sales and it was only in that job that I really kind of I fell into it and I I found myself struggling hugely with imposter syndrome although I didn't know that at the time and I just found myself working longer harder and faster than all my colleagues to prove more to myself than anybody that you know, I was good enough and I knew that I wasn't in the right job and knew that I wasn't working on my purpose but I had no idea what I was meant to be doing and I'd actually found myself trapped in a quite a, a big 
kind of package job. I was, you know, lucky enough to be promoted really quickly and was mm. on a big salary with lots of benefits. So I was, I was stuck really. And I call, I talk about that time me being a corporate prisoner. And it was only through working with an executive coach myself. I went out and ended up hiring a coach that I really discovered that I wanted to be a coach. And so that was over 15 years ago now. And I ended up retraining and setting up a coaching business. And over the last 15 years, I've been really lucky to be invited in by some of the world's kind of best-known companies to coach their leaders. And over that time, I'd found myself coaching a lot of female leaders and then coaching a lot of women that were working mums or returning after their maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And I became quite quite well known in that space and um, even got asked to contribute to a book on the topic. And Interestingly, this was all before I'd had my own children. So I was doing a lot of maternity coaching, even though I wasn't yet a mum. And back in 2012, I was married, you know, my, my business was thriving. And me and my husband decided, you know, this is the right time to start thinking about having a family. So I was lucky enough that we had our firstborn back in 2013. And I went into that journey thinking, do you know what, this, I'm going to nail this. <laughs> you know, I'm at the perfect time in my life. I was a relatively older mum. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd done a lot of what I wanted in my life and I was really ready to become a mum. Mm. I did all this maternity coaching. So I thought, you know, I know what this journey is going to be like. And then that first year, I completely underestimated the impact of becoming a mum. So I found it incredibly overwhelming for a number of different reasons and it was only about 12 months into my my mothering journey I literally hit a brick wall I ended up getting really ill and knew that I something was wrong and kept going to my doctor I even went back to my consultant at the hospital and just got told I was a new mum you know all new mums are tired or you know you this is just this is just kind of being a new mum but I knew that it wasn't. I mean, literally, I some days I struggled to get out of bed. And some days I would struggle, I would lay on the floor playing with my kind of baby and not have the energy to get up off the floor. And I had loads of blood tests and all kinds of things. And as I say, I was just told, no, this is a new mum, new mums are tired. But I knew that it was more than tiredness. It, it wasn't tiredness. It was true, deep fatigue. The only way I could describe it was every cell of my body just had no energy. And I was getting enough sleep, I was eating well, and I liken it to plugging a a mobile phone into charge, but there's a loose connection, so it's not properly charging. And I got to the point, and this isn't the kind of person I am, but I got to the point and I thought, I must have some kind of rare illness or cancer that nobody can detect because I and I I, I got very scared to cut a long story short I ended up discovering that I'd got adrenal fatigue and I literally burnt myself out in that first year of motherhood. Yeah. And it was an incredibly difficult time but a really enlightening time as well it was almost like my breakdown to breakthrough moment because what it led me to do was really take a long hard look at how I was approaching motherhood and particularly approaching being a working mum and I had to almost rewrite the rule book to be able to thrive and it was really from that journey that I realized that God, if I'm struggling with this, with all the resources and the support that I've got around me, how are other women doing it? Mm-hmm. And that was really the catalyst for Wisdom for Working Mums. Um, so I decided that I really, you know, I, I still run my exec coaching business where I go into organizations, but not everybody is lucky enough for their employer to pay for that kind of support. And I wanted to reach more women and give them the support that so many of us need to make it more accessible. And so that really was where Wisdom for Working Mums was born from. 
just over three years ago now I had that kind of idea. Mm, that's fantastic. And, and realizing how much, how much discovery and clarity can come from that level of pain of, of hitting mm. rock bottom. And, and I often see that in my own journey and in my clients for sure that there's something you know there's a concept called post-traumatic growth which I'm really fascinated about how we can really you know go through hardships stormy seas if you may and then it will eventually pass and there's there's a part of us that's grown stronger and wiser and more clear on well I can't ever go there again and you you did something very important there you took stock of what was there I need to change and I think it's very important that you are so open about that because so many coaches and psychologists and therapists are really scared of sharing their own journey as if we're supposed to be immune to hardship and, and be somehow like be vaccinated to, against uh, not having any of these difficulties affect us as of, as if we're supposed to have life stresses just bounce off us like mm-hmm. that. And that's why it's so powerful that you share this both on your social media and on your website so that people can see that, you know what, you've got lived experience, but you're not saying that my way of dealing with it is the only way of dealing with it. It's just saying, this is my lived experience. This is why I came to my current passion and purpose. And I think that's very powerful. How did you do that? How did you sort of turn that into something that was more of a purpose rather than just a painful story that you lived through? It's a really good question. And I think at the time I felt a huge amount of shame because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a coach and I help other women with this. How can I, you know, so I absolutely yeah. felt that, that pressure and the, the shame. But I, I think it's a combination of factors. I, part of it was beyond my conscious awareness. I just, it was almost like somebody dropped onto me this concept of wanting to help other working mums and it became, it just kind of grew within me. But I think I can probably join the dots almost like follow the breadcrumbs. Um, I think a really powerful force behind this is probably my own mum. Mm. So my own mum, I lost my mum a long time before I became a mum. But my, my mum was, uh, in my own mind, kind of the ultimate mum. She, but she was the stay-at-home mum. She, she was actually a, a nanny before she had children herself so her profession was to look after children and she traveled around the world doing that working kind of for some very kind of rich families doing that and so but she gave that up when she became a mum herself and dedicated her life to being a mum and I think I'd held this unconscious belief when I became a mum myself that that's what a good mum does yeah who gives up everything yeah, the, the, the complete martyr, although I didn't realise that's what my mum had done at the time, I think until I became a mum myself. Yeah. Um, and I was lucky enough that I had the option not to give up my work. And when I really struggled in that first 12 to 18 months, I actually tried a whole different load of combinations of my work work I tried working full-time part-time flexi time and because it was my own business I had kind of the choice and control to do that and the aha moment for me was that actually every single one of those combinations I still felt guilt I still felt stressed and overwhelmed and I think there was a real pivotal moment for me when I went because I couldn't I couldn't make it work I was like I'm just going to give up my work that is that's the answer here it's my work that's stressing me out and adding the load and when I did that very quickly, I mean, within the first few weeks, I knew that it wasn't the answer. Mm. I, as I said, I, I felt just as stressed and guilty, but for different reasons. Mm. And that was the moment for me that was like, actually, I thought to almost role model my mum, this is what I needed to do. 
And I realized it was this very stark moment of, no, that's not the answer. I absolutely want to be the best mum that I can, but my work is part of what makes me the best mum I can be. So I've got to find a way to make this work. And I realized that I was holding myself accountable to society or cultural or my, my made up expectations. And that was tripping me up. So um, that was all part of the mix about actually my purpose is to honor my mum because she was such a great mum and I, I, you know, she's no longer around and I want to, I want to continue kind of her being a role model in the way that she was for me, but I've got to find my own way of doing that. So I think that probably was quite a driving force behind it, but also knowing that, I've been lucky enough in my career to have access to, you know, to some of the best courses and training and insights. And I was still struggling and I was like, and I'm really, you know, I really, really struggled. And so there was this sense of if there's women out there that are struggling and they haven't got access to these tools and resources, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a very, very scary place to be. Um, so yeah I think it was born from that my own pain and wanting to transform that into something positive and also honor my mum yeah and I think it's important to acknowledge that all women come into motherhood with such different playing fields you know different levels of support and resources and knowledge and and it's no wonder then that so many of us struggle coming into motherhood with high expectations of oneself even unrealistic expectations to emulate someone else someone else who who actually probably wouldn't have been that pleased if you'd done that you know the mother who loved you and that you hold very high regards to probably wouldn't have wanted you to give up part of your professional identity to do what she did because you're not the same person you can't walk the same path and I think that's important sometimes we don't know until we actually try something okay so a a quick working and then Oh, that wasn't it then. And this is why it's so hard to find it's not a one path fits for all or one solution. It's sometimes you have to just try on different dresses or tops to find the size that fits you when it comes to juggling motherhood and, and a working career. It can be really, really difficult. And I, I guess, do you see that when you coach your clients as well, that sometimes you have to try a few different angles to see what works best? massively and I I, I suppose a big core part of the work that I do with my clients is to help them to mother and work on their own terms and find that combination that is completely on their own terms and part of the journey is kind of uncovering that and shifting all of the other stuff that gets in the way of that Um, you know the guilt the expectations the beliefs the dynamics with other people in your life that might you know be impacted when you start to do that so yeah, that's a, a fundamental piece of the work. Mm. And often we don't know, you know, we don't know what our own terms are because we're so externally validated and externally, um, we're used to using the external world to work out what it is we do want. So kind of going within to discover that is new and sometimes difficult. Yeah. It sounds like you're quite the rebel, you know, breaking all the rules of how motherhood and work has to be combined, that there's maybe a different fit for mother a and there's another fit for mother b and they can both reach their sense of fulfillment and satisfaction even if their setup looks very different yeah and it's interesting you call me a rebel because i would say that my i've for most of my life i've been incredibly compliant and and Mm -hmm. i again for my a lot of my clients they can probably relate to that as well you know we used to be the good girl the people people pleasers yeah yeah and and 
it was only when my body went, no, you, you cannot comply or be the people pleaser anymore. And I, I had to use the wisdom of my body, which is really where wisdom for working mums came from, is about mm. actually connecting to that innate wisdom. And often the body, you know, holds that wisdom and, and doesn't lie. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the body really so. put a stop for it for you, didn't it? In terms of the, yes. the you know, the adrenal fatigue. And for those of us who are not as well versed with that can you explain a bit more about what adrenal fatigue is yeah and, and you know this is my take on it probably not a, a professional or a doctor would, would um, not necessarily agree but for me what it was I was so used to being in my fight and flight system mm-hmm. and using my adrenal systems and it just got to the point where I, I literally burnt them out where they they stop working mm-hmm. um, be, because you've, you've literally burnt them out and so what that means is you don't have the levels of naturally when you wake up in the morning your cortisol rises and, and that's what allows you and gives you the energy to get out of bed and then throughout the day it will rise and then on the afternoon it will it will start to peter off towards bedtime it will drop so that naturally your body when it's in its natural cycle you have the energy when you rise and then it kind of dissipates throughout the day and what I'd done was burn mine out that it, it, it didn't work properly so I really struggled to get out of bed in the morning and I'm, I'm a morning person and I, I used to love kind of jumping out of bed but mm. by kind of the evening I, I'd be ready to go to bed what I was finding was of an evening I was almost getting a second wind so I'd get wired of a night I never had trouble sleeping thankfully although that can be a big part of it mm-hmm. um, but you literally it's almost like the cells of your body are not just haven't got the energetic charge in them to do anything but it also meant that my immune system got compromised and I literally picked up every cold every you know everything going and when my son first went to nursery of course he was bringing back all these germs and I, I was just constantly getting floored with illnesses and I never so had that yeah and it then caused loads of knock-on effects so I just was there were days where I had to I couldn't get out of bed and I'd have to you know somebody that prior to this getting this I was strong independent didn't like asking for help was really bad at receiving help I it forced me because I some days I couldn't get out of bed and I had to ask that you know my mother-in-law and and you know my husband had to take time off work and that was really difficult for me because I was used to being this strong independent woman and that was part of the journey about actually if you don't take the time to rest if you don't take the time to ask for help you need you're going to be forced into it yeah it's a really tricky lesson. So it's almost like your body forced you to come to a full stop because you didn't ask it to pause. You didn't let yeah. it pause. You didn't rest when you needed to. And that that kind of inner wisdom of tuning into your body and what it needs is something we are just so bad at in today's modern society. And I, you touched upon this a bit already around the sort of the pressures, the societal expectations. And when you work with women returning to work after parental leave, do you see that there as well, that there's actually difficult for them to tune into their bodies and listen to what they need because of the pressures they're getting from the workplace? Massively. And I think that is then what you've got several factors colliding and they are probably, you know, a lot of my clients are high achieving ambitious women that tend to be over functioners and I know that because I am one yep and <laughs> takes before, one to no one <laughs> yeah and actually before children we can manage that mm-hmm. in some ways because weekends we might go a little bit slower a little bit you know have a lie-in or so we have 
probably these strategies that we weren't aware of that allowed us to operate at that level. But of course, once you then become a parent, there, there's very little opportunity to rest unless you consciously choose it. Because, you know, as we know, you know, children don't allow you to lie in, you know, weekends aren't, you know, you, and not, there's not that natural pause that's built in. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm very much see it with my clients that they've probably been running on adrenaline and that productivity hamster wheel. Um, but have coped with it by having kind of the holidays and the weekends and just the natural mm-hmm. cycle you get. Then when you add in that whole motherhood piece, it's 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 the perfect storm. So that's a big part of the work that I'll 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 do with them. And it's you know the big driver for me of you know it often takes us to hit the wall like it did with me for us to make those changes. And I'm really keen to help women do some of the stuff that's going to support them to thrive before they get near to the wall. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what I mean. We serve the same people, which is probably why we also yeah. are like minded and have conversations, uh, not just when we hanging out on podcasts, but we have seen the same lessons. And I do think it, it takes one to know one to understand that drive, the need to succeed, and how that then becomes attached to people's self worth. And, and what yes. do you see at the end of working with you? You know, what, what do women base their worth on after they've worked with you? Well, I think it's really interesting because that whole kind of self-worth and self-esteem piece, you know, a lot of the work that I'll do with people is around looking at their self-image to begin with. And, you know, often we, we are so hard on ourselves and we focus on our struggles and what we're lacking. So part of the work is about really seeing yourself for, for who you are and recognizing I've got these strengths and I often compare them you know my struggles to other people's strengths but I overlook my own strengths so a lot of it is about really building their self-image so they see themselves as they truly are you know not better but definitely not worse but really recognizing this is who I am these are my this is my mothering style this is who I am as a person and what helps me be the best version of me Mm-hmm. And so there's that self-image piece and then looking at their self-ideals. So really getting those in check about, you know, it's okay for us to, you know, I'm somebody that's naturally, I, I would kind of eat, sleep and drink personal development because I love it. But I have to be really careful that that doesn't trip me into all these unhelpful expectations. So the self-ideal piece is about actually, it's okay for us to have these aspirations for ourselves, but how do we keep them in check that they're just not unrealistic, that are constantly tripping us up? Mm. And when we can really get, almost upgrade those that we've got a you know, healthy self-image and, and healthy self-ideals, naturally that self-worth will, will kind of change and in, improve. But it, I think it's really being conscious of what are you using to, to measure your self-worth. And I absolutely use my productivity and I still do if I'm not careful. But mm. I kind of measure my, you know, at the end of the day, how well I feel about myself by how much I've got ticked off my to-do list. And that is so toxic, particularly because, you know, it's almost like you know, I'll be happy once I get to the end of the ironing basket or I get to the end of the washing. It's, you know, it's never done. The, yeah. the, to, the to-do list is never finished unless we're very, very conscious about how we create a to-do list that defines our productivity. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, and a lot of the women I work with, that is, that's the key thing, that if we, if we operate from 
what I would call the cultural paradigm of motherhood and working motherhood. We're always going to set ourselves up for failure and that we're feeling like we're falling short, that there's something we're doing wrong, that, you know, if only we just had a better organisational productivity system or we'll get there. And actually the whole paradigm is set up for us to to fail. So it's about reimagining it to actually what's the paradigm that I can operate from where I'm setting myself up for success. Mm, that's so powerful because it it allows you to be who you are because through no fault of our own you know we didn't choose to have the mindset that we have we didn't choose to have the genetic makeup we have and I guess it's then acknowledging that yeah it's probably unlikely that it's ever going to shift for you fully where you won't care about productivity so it's about catching it and being aware of it and noticing and then mindfully doing something else choosing a different track and how do you do that then? How do you consciously pause now after the, you know, the, the decade and a half that you've had of, of this wisdom? What do you do now to rest and recover? And that's a really good question because it still doesn't come easily to me. Mm. And I think that's really, really important to emphasize because even with that experience, and I think looking back on my corporate career before I left, I was burning out. And then Obviously, the experience I had early on in my mothering journey, I was burning out. I think if I'm not careful, my tendencies are to push myself towards burnout. Mm. But because I'm more aware of it now, I, I think there's some things that I do, nat- not, not naturally, I've now built into my life. So I have things like regular reflexology. So I have monthly reflexology. And that, for me, is a very much it's so nourishing it so calms my nervous system and what I've come to realize is it's it's something that I love um Dr Paul Gilbert's work around um compassion mm-hmm. and he and I know you'll be more even more familiar with this than I am Kayla, but I've he, got a big smile on my face so that's good <laughs> you're preaching to the converted <laughs> yeah. and he, he talks about that most of us are flipping between our drive systems so getting the dopamine hit of getting stuff done and acquiring stuff and our um, threat system, so the fight and flight of adrenaline and cortisol. So most of us are kind of pinging backwards and forwards between that. And what we're not very good at is getting down into our nurturing system where we're, you know, we're getting to our endorphins and our oxytocin. And for me, I didn't realise, I, I, I discovered that I loved reflexology and my body just loved it and I loved it, so I kept doing it. Um, but I've come to realise that what that does is, you know, that touch of actually triggers the oxytocin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it triggers my endorphins so that for me is my very conscious way of getting into that nurturing system and nurturing my body and calming my nervous system I also do acupuncture for the same reason it has that impact on my body so I literally book those in my diary mm-hmm. and I I knew that I needed them before becoming ill but I thought they were kind of like they're a nice to have they're a you know, if I've got the time or if I've got the money, I'll do it and would feel guilty about being away from my children or, you know, know, saying to my husband, can you have the kids for an hour while I go and do this? That created so much guilt that I I wouldn't give myself permission to do it. But when I got ill, what I realized is these are not wants. These are real needs of mine. They're fundamental. I need them to be okay as a mum. And if I don't, I'm going to become depleted. And if I become depleted, I obviously haven't got the energy, but I don't become a nice person to be around. So actually it creates unhealthy relationships in our family. Yeah. And not only that, I then, if I don't meet my fundamental needs, I then reach for 
what I would call my wants to fulfill that. So it's almost like at the end of the day, if, if you've had a lovely fulfilling meal that truly fills you up, that's, you know, nutritious meal, you might only want a tiny little bit of a sweet chocolate pudding or whatever your thing might be to get that kind of satiation at the end of a meal. But actually, if I've eaten, either not eaten well or I've eaten an unnutritious meal, I want it, might want to eat a whole box of chocolates to fulfill that sensation. And it's almost like that with, if I don't fulfill my needs, I go to unhelpful places to meet my desire. So rather than maybe wanting a glass of wine at the end of the day, I might want to drink the whole bottle. Or rather than just wanting to watch my favorite program, I'll binge out on Netflix. So I've noticed that actually, if I can pay attention to my needs and, and, and get my needs met and, and through pausing, that really is a really healthy place for me to be. So I do practice meditation, but I'm not, I don't do it as often as I know is good for me. And I just notice that. And sometimes I can get into self-criticism, but I've unhooked myself from that and gone, actually, I'll do it. And when I do it, that's great. And if I don't, I'm not going to beat myself up. Yeah. Um, it can't be another shit stick that you beat yourself with. Yeah. And, on, and I'm, I'm really good at that. I, I, I can do that well if I'm not careful. Yeah. So a lot of the time I have to pre-book that time in with myself because if I don't, mm. um, it doesn't happen organically. So prior to lockdown, I, you know, I would do on a Monday morning religiously. I had a, a yoga class on a Monday morning. And that was interesting because the old corporate me, Monday mornings were work time. And even though I've run my business for over 15 years and I choose you know, my hours, I noticed that it's really difficult for me to unhook from that and go, actually, no, I'm choosing to start my week with a pause and some me time. But during lockdown, that's been really interesting because obviously I haven't been able to have my reflexology, haven't been able to have my acupuncture, haven't been able to do my Monday morning yoga class. And I did find myself slipping into old habits and getting hooked on adrenaline again. But yeah. luckily, I'm really conscious of it these days because it scares me, if I'm honest. I'm like, oh, stay on this too long and we know where this goes. Yeah, it's a familiar path you wandered before, isn't it? And the, knowing what's going to work, what's, what's going to take you further away from that meaningful yeah. life where you are relatively balanced, not perfectly balanced, because I think that can be an unhelpful drive or pursuit yes. in itself. Like, oh, I just need to do all of these things and then my life will be complete. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've leveled yeah. up and then my life will be perfect and I never need to calibrate. But I, I think it's like a weekly calibration, if not a daily one, where I, l yeah. I love that image of if I calibrate things so that my needs are met, then maybe those unhelpful, unhealthy ones won't be as high. But then also some days we just get that calibration wrong. You know, we have been yeah. through a global shitstorm for a, for a yeah. quarter. And, you know, my KitKat consumption went up uh, dramatically, I have to say. And now yeah. I don't feel the same need anymore because the, the, the majority of lockdown has ended and I got childcare back. I don't know how yeah. you felt, but yeah. having my child at home was, uh, you know, the, there's a you know, strong correlation between that and KitKat, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and I, we just have to go easy on ourselves that we will slip away from those things we know are helpful and healthy and go towards the destructive and unhelpful and then just have to have wisdom about that. Like you've realized you, you recalibrate again and you think actually where is this taking me? Which path is this taking me on? And then gently returning back and I think so many women I serve are exactly like that as well Nikki of I need to earmark the time in my diary I need to almost like book yeah. something in and I call that if you put money behind the bar you show up to drink so yeah. prepaying for appointments is a great way to hold yourself accountable yeah. for the self-care 
that yeah. then you will actually show up or uh, agreeing to do something with a friend like going for a walk with a friend that you more likely to go out and do it so yeah. it sounds like you've done a lot of reflections around what helps you pause and unwind and and replenishing yourself so you're not going to find yourself out resourced and empty like you did when you had the adrenal fatigue meditation is one thing but what about things that are more light-hearted and playful and you know obviously this podcast is pause purpose play and we mm. talked a lot about your passion and purpose but what do you do to find you know a lighter side of life because our jobs can be really serious how do you let loose and let go yeah and it was really interesting reflecting on that for this podcast because with my work I'm so passionate about it and I I can become really intense with it and it, it's so important to me. I can hold it in quite a heavy way. Although I, you know, I, I, I don't think I come across as intense or heavy, but I can, that's the impact it can have on me if I'm not careful that I don't build in play. I think naturally having children makes me kind of more playful. And even when I'm not feeling it, you know, that can help. I mean, I, I find that music and movement is my way to feel more playful so I, you know, that's my connection really to bring me back to play. And I've, I've got a seven-year-old and a two-year-old. And I found that um, over the last two years, I've been deep in motherhood piece again. And actually came into the beginning of this year going, actually, this is my year to do some more playful stuff. And I'd got, I'd got some great things on my list that I wanted to do. So I wanted to go roller skate to a roller skating disco with my friends. And for a friend's birthday, we were going to hire a dance teacher and get her to choreograph a Beyonce move for us. That's so fantastic. Got, yeah. So I got all these ideas for this year. And then of course, <laughs> COVID hit. So I must admit, I've not built in as much play as I would like this year. But again, for me, there's, there is spontaneous play, but I have to remind myself to integrate that more into my life because I can if I'm not too careful if I'm if I'm yeah if I'm not careful I can become quite serious and intense with how yeah. I approach life and it can be hard to do that then when we think this is a loss of a major plan something I was looking forward yeah. to I mean I read pieces of research saying that people are enjoying planning their holidays and looking forward to their holidays more than they do when they're actually there on their holiday and it can be, yeah. be like that when we then think actually COVID has taken a lot of things away and we've slimmed things down to doing less and, and being more. Um, and I guess, can we then do a budget version of that? Can we downgrade it yeah. so that, you know, all the, you can't do the roller disco thing, you know, could you get one of those uh, disco lamps? Uh, yeah. Because that's what we did. We got a, a disco lamp on, on Amazon or whatever for, for a tenner and then we just put on three, four songs, because that's how long it can last before my son uh -huh. says, I'm done with this now. He's only three. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then that's, you know, we pulled the curtains and we're like, we have a disco, you know, cut out a couple of paper tickets and then, you know, take entry to the disco. And oh, he knows, he knows no better, you know, and that's, yeah. you know, it's really hard to create imperfect play of em yeah. embracing that it's just not going to be what it was and the plan is gone but what can we do that is hitting on the same systems hitting on the same theme but at a downgraded version because our kids even two-year-olds even seven-year-olds they will be so grateful for so little even though they might be winning yeah. time but it's our expectations to feel that like, actually it's not going to be good enough they won't have a clue so he's yeah. loving his home disco and thinks it's a, you know it's the bee's knees and we have picnic pajama parties on the sofa yeah. and do movie nights where we sell tickets to the cinema like 
he's only been to the cinema once. He's not expecting that, but I'm expecting it. So when I let go of that pressure and then think, actually, what could we do that hits on the same things? Would that, would that be something that you could bring home to your kids as well to think, what, oh. what could we do that is good enough for now? Definitely. And I think that's a really important point because I can be the kind of person that's an all or nothing. If I can't do it all perfectly, then I'm not going to do it at all. And I think, and that can steal the joy completely. And actually one of the things that we've done at the beginning of this at summer holidays is come up with a list of, so what, what would be the joyful things for you? You know, I've had this conversation with my seven year old because I can obviously put thoughts in my mind about, oh, he's going to want to do this and this and this. And actually, when you speak to them, as you say, it's just, well, let's have a, you know, he loves doing a, he calls it a midnight feast, but of course he doesn't stay up <laughs> till that long. But, you know, he's allowed at past half past seven and he gets get to sit in his pyjamas and eat some popcorn on the sofa. Yeah. And it is just those little things. And I noticed it yesterday morning, actually. I, um, it was a work day for me and I was trying to get the kids breakfast, get them changed, get them out the door to go to childminders and all of that type of thing. And um, my daughter just wanted to sit and brush my hair. And I was still in my pyjamas. She was still in her pyjamas. We just had breakfast and she just wanted me to sit on the kitchen floor with her. And I noticed my kind of hyper achiever just was like no but we're going to miss the time to get out the door and you know I've got this plan in my head and luckily I just kind of surrendered and just went yeah Mm. let's just sit on the floor and we had the most beautiful kind of five or ten minutes just her brushing my hair giggling away and those are often the the play moments of just allowing myself in the moment to spontaneously connect and not you know get caught up in we've got to do or we've got to be somewhere yeah, but that's a conscious choice because you mentioned two words there, which I think are important. It's allowing and surrendering. It's not just, oh, that just sort of happened. If we know that this doesn't come easy to us, we have to make these conscious choices to like, I'm just going to make myself remain here on the floor because it's this five, 10 minutes of connection is more important than arriving on time somewhere or even skipping that activity altogether if it's not a must. That yeah. permission it's so hard for high striving mothers to give themselves. So I hope that you over the next coming 15 years continue to work on that because I don't think we'll ever be finished in terms of the work in progress that we are. I, I wonder, Nikki, the final thing, you know, on that topic of permission and allowing and surrendering, what's the one tangible takeaway you would like to give to the listeners? Maybe that is some permission you want to give them or any pressure you want to take off them. What would that be? Yeah, I think it's just this piece around actually if we want to thrive in in motherhood, we've got to find a way to do it on our own terms and just take the time to work out what your terms are and what gets in the way of that. Mm. Because for each person it will be slightly different. They'll have a different slightly different flavour of what stops them. I learning that actually thriving in motherhood doesn't necessarily happen naturally it takes some intention and conscious thought and reflection and to give yourself time to do that yeah but everything that's worth having is worth working for right so that's a really helpful little gift for the for the listeners to to think that actually you can make conscious efforts and and if anyone wanted more support or help in doing that where can we find you the best place to head is my website which is wisdom for for working mums and ums and on there you'll get all the links to all my social media you can get on my email list and you'll get my regular podcasts and blogs that i send out so that's probably the best place to head fantastic and i'll put all those links in the show notes so people can know where to find you on social media and things like that as well if they want to connect with you 
And I love your mailing list. So I would say just get on the mailing list and then you wouldn't miss out on anything that's coming up very soon. Fantastic, Nikki. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. And it's been a joy to interview you and being on the other side. So thank you. Thank you. This was a great conversation I had with Nikki Lowe because we're so well aligned in how we operate and who we serve. I just love her insights and honesty about the shame she has experienced as part of her journey. If you also struggle to give yourself that permission to pause and need help being kinder to yourself, come and join me in the Pause Purpose Playgroup on Facebook. And as always, if you like this episode, please give us a review, help us learn more from these experiences and tell other people, share this podcast episode to other women who might be working on empty. This episode of the Pause Purpose Play podcast was presented by me, Michaela Thomas. And you can find me on thethomasconnection.co.uk. And because great work rests on having a great team, this episode was kindly edited by Emily Crosby Media.